Welcome to Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, the podcast about comic books. If you wondered what I meant when I said comics, this is the only podcast hosted by two brothers talking about a thing they love, which is comic books. I'm one of those brothers, Kevin Hines. I'm the other brother, Will Hines. Yeah, we are brothers, we are comic book fans, and we are kind of comedians. That's our thing. Yeah, Yeah. we're funny-ish. And uh, this is a Mutants and Mailbags episode. Yeah, so this is the episodes where we interview or mail and also discuss uh, generally four or five issues of The Uncanny Uncanny X-Men by legendary writer Chris Claremont. Uh, Today we're discussing 125, 26, 127, and 128. Which the is Proteus the Proteus saga. Yeah, story. yeah. Uh, boy, is it a good one. Oof. Yeah, this is the end of Epic, the Epic Collection, uh, X-Men Epic Collection Proteus, uh, which is how I'm reading it. Me too. Yeah, this is a really exciting one. This is, they, they level up in this story, Kevin. Yeah, and we had read the final issue, 128, when we had Jesse Falcon on. Yep. Um, and I enjoyed it then. I enjoyed it more now reading the three prior issues. Yeah, the build uh, up to it, yeah. No shock, I guess, there that it, yeah. it was a better issue with the buildup. When you read the whole thing, yeah. It was fun reading it uh, as just the issue because that was the first issue Jesse Falcon had sort of stumbled on. So reading it with his eyes of like not knowing how it got there was and also still, really fun. And it still was great. Yeah. Uh, like any good story by a good writer, it's like a good issue is a good issue, even if it's the last part. Even if you just saw Return of the Jedi or just saw uh, Return of the King, they they they're good movies they're better if you know how everything got to that point and stories are the same way i think good comic books dumb and dumber too amazing spider-man 33 is a great comic it's just way better if you read 32 dumb and dumber 2 is your, your example mm-hmm. dumb and dumber 2 i never saw it i mean it stands it stands on its own but it's really it's a lot richer if you know the the first movie and then we'll do mailbag then I ones said, or some emails. I said yeah. mutants and mail bags earlier. I meant mutants and mail bag. I mean, there could be multiple bags. I got some stuff from Twitter. That's a second bag. Okay, good. Then I then I've been wrong every other time I've said it before, and the proper name is mutants and mail bags. Yeah, that's it. Let's get into it, Kevin. What did you think of the Proteus story? I really enjoyed it. Maybe somewhat. Uh, it's been a few weeks since I read any Uncanny X Men. Uh, we had taken a few weeks off. Mm-hmm. For various reasons. So maybe it was you just had like, to, You oh. had to hike the Appalachian Trail. Yeah, I was searching for a body up there. I didn't find it. Shoot. So it's still up there somewhere. Uh, yeah, so maybe some of this is just like, oh, it's been a little while. It's been a few weeks since I read. Like, Because for a while there, I was reading like four or five issues a week, binging it, as it were. A slow yeah. binge, but a binge. So maybe it was the break, but I really, really enjoyed these. These felt like maybe my favorite issues yet. Uh, yeah, I, I felt that way. From a, at a very high level, what happens in these issues is the X-Men go to Muir Island, which is off the coast of Ireland, Scotland? I think Scotland. They fight a villain named Proteus, who's their most powerful villain yet, who is also, when I'm getting this confused, the son of Moira McTaggart? I think so, yeah. He basically has the ability to change all of reality and also swap bodies by, like, using the energy of one up and then possessing another body, which he has to do to survive sort of wraith-like. Right. And this is also where the X-Men are reunited with Phoenix. Yeah, who they thought uh, was dead for a long time. And who thought they were dead. They also are reunited briefly with Beast, who had the same misconception. 
So, uh, you know, everyone now knows they're alive. Professor X still in space, but everyone else <laughs> is sort of back together. So the X-Men finally, as a team, are back together, and including Havoc and Polaris, so an ex- expanded team. Yeah, so the, the team has been kind of scattered for like many, many issues. Mm-hmm. And this, yeah, we, we do have like the biggest concentration of X-Men now, except for Professor X. And yeah. it's exciting. I would say, yeah, it's really fun. The first issue is almost table setting for the rest of the the next three issues. We just had like a table setting issue. I feel like a couple. The beginning uh, of the last four we did. Uh, it wasn't right before the Archon saga. That wasn't like the one with Colossus getting. I think it was tested. like Colossus doing that. And then there was two arcade issues and then the and then the annual okay the arcade thing was after that okay so yes so that maybe is a pattern that claremont is falling into here just sort of like big arc all right let's just make sure all the see where all the pieces are next big arc which i like i really i sort of really enjoy the table setting issues as much if not more than the big arcs it's just fun the way I think of it, and I have no way to back this up, is I think that Claremont is more the guy who likes the, hey, I'm interested just in these guys hanging out and talking to each other and sharing their feelings, and John Byrne as the, I think they should punch each other harder guy to 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 vastly oversimplify it. And of course, I like those two flavors together. So I think the table setting issues are more like Claremont being like, I need space to set all the drama up. I, mean, I don't know if be- that's true. I mean, that might be true, but it might not. I mean, it's not like John Byrne didn't do lots of character, slow character moments in his FF books. That's true. It wasn't huge arc after huge arc in that book. It was a lot of one-issue But one he really would have a whole line. issue of table setting. Yeah, but he also rarely did like a four-issue thing. Like his Galactus trial of Galactus was like two issues. Yeah. Um, so so we'll it's, never, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just no sharing my experience. Oh, so and some of the, some of the threads that are kind of in play here are phoenix's the level of power that she has mm-hmm. like moira was testing it before the x-men arrived moira was testing phoenix and we're told repeatedly and we have been told that her power is like off the charts and like the only reason that it's even ever not at a god level is she kind of mentally blocks it from herself so she doesn't go crazy is what we're told at one point yeah um, and also so the, she is being manipulated by Jason Windergard of the Hellfire Club while this is all going on as well. Yep, that's that is a thing which will pay off later, but that is being kind of furthered along here. She has fallen in love with the man Jason Windgard, and she falls in love in a weird way, which is like when she is around him or just at certain times, she kind of has a hallucination that she's in like the 1800s. Well, in this issue, she doesn't see him. She just has these hallucinations. Right. For no reason. So uh, I don't know what triggers them per se in this issue, These this arc. Um, she doesn't see him, but he talks. We see we see him, the readers, but uh, she doesn't run into him at all. So that, that's a thing that's being, mm-hmm. being um, sort of laid out. Um, and then we have Proteus. And Proteus is like the most powerful villain we face because he can sort of just do whatever he wants, it seems. Like he can just sort of change reality. Yeah, reality warpers are, that's so powerful. And to also have him jumping from body to body feels like excessive to some extent. In a it, way, yeah. It almost feels like it should have been one or the other. The reality warping makes me think of Jasper from the Captain Britain comics, who is so powerful, like he destroyed a reality pretty easily. But I, um, yes, I mean, it seems like a really weird thing to introduce into your narrative, like something mm-hmm. that can just destroy you. It's like, what are the boundaries on that? What are the rules? However, 
um, something uh, I've said before, maybe not too articulately, which is like that that kind that kind of narrative recklessness, like let's just have a villain who is somebody's son and can change reality and can jump bodies. Yeah, in a sense, you could make an argument that that's too much, that you're packing your story with too many ideas, but it it also feels really fun. It feels like this is just Claremont and Byrne being enthusiastic about the story they're telling. Like it doesn't it doesn't feel fearful or desperate. It feels like joyful and excited. I guess to me, uh, I really enjoyed this arc. As I said, it maybe is my favorite arc so far, but I think I would have enjoyed it just as much if he was just a reality warper who got out. Um, I don't know what we gain by the husks of body he leaves behind. I think there's another fun story of him jumping from body to body, having both. I, I guess I like my mutant powers to be, it's weird to me. And there's other mutants that this falls, this true for it's like, Oh, what are the powers of this mutant? I mean, Nightcrawler is a little bit of this. Mm-hmm. What are his powers? Well, he can teleport. He can disappear in shadows and stick to walls. Feels like three random different powers. <laughs> you know, I like to, I like when the powers have like, Oh, what is, what is the thing the that theme? is different? Uh, yeah. So it's like a Cyclops shoots, you know, force beams out of his eyes. That's his thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He doesn't also like grow ruby wings to fly. (laughs) I do kind of feel like that was a difference between Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Like I think Stan was better about kind of like wanting to lay out the rules and boundaries. And Kirby was more like, let's make him a cowboy or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you know, even Spider-Man who has a lot of different powers, they're at least all grouped under even like, spider sense is not really a real thing yeah they're all at least trapped under like oh this is a thing spiders can do whether that's true or not i don't care as much it's just like we're saying it is okay Um, Uh, so i i i think it's it's messy to me in the sense that like it feels like if at the end of this issue you said oh proteus can also uh, time travel you'd be like okay so let me ask you this why do you think you liked it uh i think because the powers of the villain don't matter Mm mm-hmm like that character doesn't really matter to me. I don't care about Proteus at all, really. I just liked watching the X-Men deal with something. If this was two different guys, or if he was just like sucking the ener- life force out of energy from people so he had the ability to do his reality warping, like if he was just sucking the energy of people near him, mm-hmm. you don't change the story at all. I don't think that hurts the story at all. It doesn't help the story other than like making that character to me a little cleaner. It doesn't have any effect. It's just fun to watch the X-Men fight this guy and deal with it and all the little moments that happen between the beginning and the end of that. Yeah. The threat didn't matter to me. I'd say if one... The, if, if the threat was, this guy's going to explode and blow up the planet, mm-hmm. I, I enjoy this issue just as much because it's fun watching the X-Men have to just deal with it. Um, yeah, the the penultimate issue, issue 127, ends with Cyclops kind of saying that they basically have to kill Proteus, that it's the only the only solution mm-hmm. they're not going to be able to capture him or re- rehabilitate him that he's so powerful that they must eliminate him. I mean, that was effective to me like that. I was very excited at the end of the issue. It's sort of that had an effect on the stakes. I was going to say rogue, but I don't like to use the word rogue with X-Men since she's, she's a coming. Um, this kind of reckless unleashed chaos must just be eliminated. This kind I, think of- what, I think what he's saying at the end is if we need to kill Moira to stop Proteus, we have to do that. Even better. I mean, in terms of narrative excitement, not that I want anything to happen to Moira. 
Because because uh, because Banshee says Cyclops, what are we going to do if we attack? We'll be signing Moira's death warrant or worse. Yeah. So and it's interesting because earlier Cyclops stops Moira from killing Proteus because the X Men don't kill. He, I mean, basically he switches from like you can't kill this to guy to like we might kill our friend. <laughs> Cyclops is an interesting thing throughout these four issues and all the issues we've read so far. Uh, that makes him a little bit of a drag. Like sometimes he's really a fun character, but he's so often is stopping people from doing things. Like frequently he has yeah. stopped Wolverine from doing things or stopped X-Men from doing things like, Hey, are we going to help Archon? No. Oh, we have to. Okay. Then mm-hmm. are we going to help the Savage Land? No, we're leaving. We're stuck here. Then we'll help them. Wolverine's like, let's go save them. Nope. He's, mm-hmm. he's almost always initially saying no. It's like Moira's like, I'm going to shoot this guy in the head. And he's like, Nope. Cyclops' mm-hmm. move is to stop people from doing things. And it's a drag. That kind of character, I can see why. I know a lot of people love Cyclops, but I can see why when I was getting older and reading comics, Cyclops was not well-liked. Mm. Wolverine was cooler and Storm was cool. And when Storm became leader, it was like, oh, she's a much cooler leader. Yeah. And I sort of get it. It's like, oh, yeah, they don't tell you to stop doing things. When Breaking Bad had sort of the backlash, this weird backlash where everyone hated um, – uh, his wife, uh, whose name I'm blanking on, the wife character in Breaking Bad. There was like this backlash where people like there was like fans not not liking that character and being mad about that character. And a lot of critics were sort of like, oh, you're being an idiot. You know, um, he Brian Cranston is the villain of this story. You should be rooting for Skylar is her name. You should be rooting for Skylar. She's a hero. Right. She's a good person. And, and, and she's not the villain of this. Walter White is the villain. And I remember going like, no, I get it. Like Walter White is not the villain. He is he is a bad person and he's a bad human being, but he is the protagonist of the story. And Skylar is stop wants him to stop doing it. Yeah. We don't like the characters to stop doing it. I think about that a lot with uh relationships in comic books. Mm-hmm. When if the superhero's girlfriend, and like the classic example I think of is the human torch's original girlfriend. Yes. Uh, I forget um, her name. Debbie? No, I but she remember. did not want him to be the Human Torch. She hated it when he flamed on and flew away. Yeah, and it's like that's a bad girlfriend for the Human <laughs> Torch to have. We, I get it's it's there to give some conflict. Right. Oh, he doesn't. He, I don't want to become the Human Torch. My girlfriend will be mad Dor- at me. Doris Evans. That's right. I don't want my girlfriend to be mad at me, so I can't go fight this crime. We hate her now because <laughs> we want the Human Torch to go fight this crime. And the same thing, it's like, I kind of want to see Walter White become a drug kingpin. Yeah. So I don't want Skylar to stop him. I liked it better when it seemed like she was kind of on board. That's more fun to me. She's mm-hmm. a great character that the series, but there is a stretch where it's like, and I never turned on her, but I kind of got why people would hate her. She was stopping the fun. And so Cyclops is that he's sort of got the Skylar thing. It's like sometimes he's stopping the fun. He's like, no, Wolverine, we can't go have this cool battle. We got to go home and train. Um, like, oh, what a drag. What do you think of Carmella and Tony Soprano? Uh, I don't really watch Sopranos. Is it good? Is it a popular show? I don't know. I've never, I've never really uh, seen it get any critical praise. How about, I've, seen um, like, I've seen like five episodes of The Sopranos. Oh, okay. I mean, she's definitely not in favor of Tony's murdering, but she looks the other way a lot. Yes, I can't say. Uh, when Mary Jane and Peter were married in the 90s, there's a stretch where like she gets really anxious and like gets nervous. Like, there's a stretch where she's just freaking out about Spider-Man dying all the time. Mm-hmm. And I get that, that where that thread comes from. It's like, that's sort of maybe what would happen if your husband was going out and fighting supervillains all the time. Yeah. But it 
did not make me like Mary Jane more. It made me kind of not want to read her part of the book. Uh, I like the characters and Mary Jane is more like this as, as his ex in the current comics, sort of like she generally supports him. She's like, Oh, don't worry. I'll cover for you. You know, you're going mm-hmm. off to do this. You're doing the right thing. She's nervous about him dying maybe, but she believes he'll get through it. And like, yeah, maybe that's more unrealistic, but it's more, more fun. I mean, it's also unrealistic that Spider-Man exists. Right. So I want him to be with a girlfriend, like being nervous once in a while. Sure. Of course. But if that's her main part of the story, you're losing me. If Lois Lane has spent all, every comic going, oh, Superman is going to die. I don't like Lois Lane. Instead, she's like, all right, you go fight that supervillain. I'm going to go write this article that's going to get me in trouble with uh, the mob. It's like, oh, yeah, great. That's a good story. Uh, Cyclops also just reminds me of the perennial problem that I've seen in a lot of Marvel comics, at least where somebody we're told that somebody is the leader of the ensemble and then they have mm-hmm. to demonstrate being a leader. It's always arbitrary. Like we've said it before, like they shout plans in battles that just seem unnecessary. Yeah. And it's mostly like, we are told how this person is smart, but you rarely can show it. Yeah. And it's That's like, it. they don't, do we need a leader? Like, does it matter that Reed is, I, mean, I think you need, it's helpful if the character has something more going on than just they're in charge. Like mm-hmm. the other interesting thing about Scott is that he's, Phoenix's boyfriend, but is maybe falling for this woman, Colleen, while Phoenix is sort of falling for Jason Wingard. That's like more interesting. Right. And that she is maybe not the same person anymore to him. Right. Yeah. Since she got this power set. That said, I love when he beats up the X-Men, when he attacks the X-Men to like snap them out of their uh, funk or whatever. Yeah. To test himself and test the X-Men to make sure they're still ready to do this battle. I love that sequence. <laughs> I really did. It, it, it barely makes sense. Like, it's like, is that really the best way to do this? Yeah. It's really fun, though. Should we zip through these issues? We talked so much about it in general. Sure. Let's let's do it. Let's do kind of a high level. Great. So issue 125, like we said, is sort of this uh, table setting issue. We've got like the X-Men training in the danger room and Jean thinking about what's happened to her since she moved out to Moore Island. And we and as you said, this is where we learn like that her powers seem to be unlimited. They like she sort of when she was fighting uh, in space with the Shire Empire, her power sort of turned off and they sort of just come back sporadically. And that seems to be some sort of like safety mechanism to keep her alive. And she's she's feeling more and more separate from the other X-Men. Yeah. Uh, we also get a quick stop in on Magneto, even though he doesn't factor in really on the rest of the Proteus story. Yeah. And he's uh, missing his wife and he's just like, you know, mad and stuff. And just like, you know, yep. he's Magneto. He's just like upset. And we get a brief glimpse of Professor X in space. Uh, and he, I think, decides he's going to go home. Because he yeah. has sort of a vision of Phoenix. He's like, I should go home and check on Phoenix, who I abandoned. She wasn't dead when I left Earth. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um, he, he arrogantly thinks to himself, even I would have trouble with that sort of power. As if, like, you know, Gene's got no chance. Right, right. Um, I mean, he did... You know, Mar- how old was Marvel Girl when she joined the X-Men? Whatever. Male, <laughs> okay. he's, a, he's, a, he's a male ego. He thinks a woman can't handle power, but he could. You know, you get Cerebro for a little while. It's hard to let go of how much power you have. Um, we also get one of the first gene... Uh, hallucinations. Hallucinations where she's like in a dress in Old England or something for a few moments until like she gets tackled by Proteus. And then we kind of get a reunion at the end of this issue where Beast and the... X-Men realize they're all alive 
Yeah, it's fun throughout the first two issues. There's frequent moments where characters because they're all sort of separated and wandering around places, and they'll different people will run into different people and just be like, "You're alive." Yeah, it happens like four times. Uh, like realistically, anytime characters see each other before they know they're all alive, they have to have a moment where they go, "I thought you were dead." Um, so that's all set for 125. Oh, and then the end of 125 is that Lorna Dane uh, yeah. from from Muir Island calls Cyclops, suddenly phones work. None of these people were able to right. phone Cyclops, each other. Cyclops calls her and she answers. Okay, yeah. And then she screams and that's when they realize that something is amiss there. And that's the beginning of the Proteus stuff. Right. We had heard the phones were down pre-arcade. Um, it doesn't make sense why Banshee has not called his love interest. Yeah. Other than the moment he does that, they all know each other are alive. Pre-cell phones, comics really took advantage of yeah. how believable it was that you could just be out of touch with people. Like, we no longer accept that. Yeah, like, I, I, it's hard to imagine, like, uh, oh, um, I've been gone for six months. Um, I get home to my house. My wife is not here. And I don't, like, call her parents for months. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's just uh, kind of one of those comic book logic things, yeah. which is where if it would hurt the story if they got in touch, so we kind of don't yeah. mind. Just like, sorry, I've been traveling for six months. I was fighting Alpha Flight. Um, and then I got back and, you know, had to train or something. Uh, yeah, but that's sort of that first issue. I really like that issue, even though we sort of brushed by, like not much happens. It's really fun. The next issue is the, we really begin the Proteus saga in earnest, the X-Men in, is it called Blackbird? That's their plane? The Blackbird is their jet, yeah. So they um, arrive at off the coast of, I should know, Scotland, Muir Island. Cyclops, uh, Lossus jumps out of a plane like he likes to do. Yep. And uh, they, and yeah, they kind of land and they take, they, um, they want to see what that scream was about. And they find the first of a series of husks of bodies next to yeah. Lorna. There's a cool uh, panel where when Nightcrawler leaves the Blackbird, he bamfs, and the bamf is the panel border. So he's yeah. half in the next panel and half in the previous panel. It's really cool. That is fun. I like to and, talk about the art too, Will. You're more sophisticated than me. I'm I'm an all-words guy. Yeah, they find the first husk, and the husk is the guy who rented them a hovercraft. Uh, and <laughs> Cyclops' response is, that skin flint hated the X-Men's guts. It's like, you blew up. His hovercraft. There's a throwaway <laughs> line that like they paid him off for it, but I wouldn't, I'd still be mad. I'd still be mad. Yeah. If someone blew up my car, well, he didn't want to rent it to them. They bullied him into it and blew it up three panels later. Yeah. And if someone gave me a check after that happened, I'd still be mad at them. Yeah. I mean, I maybe wouldn't sneak into their home base and unleash a Proteus monster, but I'd still probably hold a grudge. Um, like, what do you think of the X-Men? I was like, I don't know. They blew up my car when I lent it to them. <laughs> I said, you're going to blow this up. They said no. And they blew it up. So we run into uh, Multiple Man and Moira McTaggart and Multiple Man figures. Multiple uh, Man, whose ability is to create energy-based duplicates of himself. Of course. Kevin, do you uh, like I, that power set? Does that upset you? Uh, I love Multiple Man. Okay. He's not that fun in these comics, but uh, Peter David did a long run with him, and he becomes a really, 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 really fun character. Mm -hmm. In Peter David's comics, basically, he, uh, he decides that Multiple Man sends out all these duplicates out into the world to learn new skills. And then when he absorbs them, he absorbs those memories. So like he sends one out to like learn how to fence and then he can absorb that guy. Now he knows how to fence. Oh. And so he, and so he's like sets up a detective agency or something with all these like 
like Sherlock Holmesian random skills. And it's really, really, really a fun comic. I approve. He's also funnier when Peter David writes him, of course. Um, we learn here now what's going on with the husks. Moira, Moira knows what's up. Yes. And when they talk to Moira, she reveals it's my son. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I've, I'm sort of protecting him while also trying to stop him. Right. Uh, uh, and during this issue, a lot of the reunite, reunitings, which I talked about, uh, Moira's surprise Cyclops is alive. Um, you know, uh, then they see Jean and she's surprised that uh, they're alive and everything. So there's a number of more. Uh, hey, you're alive. That's cool. Um, th- this this whole issue is kind of a it's kind of focuses more on the body swap aspect yes. of Proteus while they try to track him down. He Proteus is sort of, you know, jump to a even, body. Do they even mention the reality warping in this issue? I'm not sure, actually. That's the thing. At the very end, they do. I guess that's the sort of thing. It's like as you're reading this comic, I may I don't think this character existed before these comics. There's no like mention of what his powers are, and they run into him, and he like warps reality around Wolverine and Nightcrawler, and you're just sort of like, and he can do that too. <laughs> um. Uh, yeah. We also learned that he has an aversion to metal. Yeah, that's a he bad... tries to possess Wolverine's body, but since Wolverine's yeah. skeleton is coated in adamantium, he can't do it. That's a good weakness. That's a convenient weakness for the X-Men who have two metal heroes on their side, one with metal claws, one with a metal body. It's a it's a big weakness, I would say, to be on the yeah. planet Earth and not be able to handle metal. Yeah. Um, Imagine being of... Colossus and hearing that's the weakness of your villain. You're like, oh, I am in. <laughs> this guy is made for me to punch. Yeah. And here's another guy. His only weakness, ruby eye beams. <laughs> and then Nightcrawler's like, I got him. <laughs> no, 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 I think we'll give it to Cyclops. Here's another on, guy. Give me, give me this one, boss. Give me him. Come on. This guy's weakness is German circuses. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's kind yeah. of just like trying to track down Proteus as he jumps from body to body. And then at the end, we get this reality distortion thing that he does to Wolverine and um, Nightcrawler. Right. Jean has one of her hallucinations where she is hunting a stag with Jason Wendergaard. And when they catch the stag, it's a human being dressed up as a stag. And he like gives her a knife to kill this guy. And she's like, okay. And then she sort of snaps out and goes, well, that was weird. Yeah. So the hallucination double life she's experiencing is in a murder cult, a Victorian murder cult. We also found out, I think the previous issue that Jason Wendergaard has been disguising himself as other people to charm her slowly like through just tons of friendly people to like make her forget right. her past life somehow and i'm not quite sure how that works if well we some... learn we learn who this guy is later um that jason well, wingard is also an alias right well okay well we don't know that these four we don't know well, that so yet. thanks he... for the spoiler for me <laughs> i have so, not read ahead this issue ends with proteus facing us against storm right uh she he wants to take storm's body he wants to jump into her body which would uh, be so terrifying. She, like, she creates like a windstorm to hold him at bay. And so if last issue was kind of a suspenseful jumping body, jumping body, we start to get more into like fighting and hunting here. Like now they kind of know what they're up against uh, and they want to, they want to face him. Oh, and we get the sequence you like in here. Where uh, Cyclops fights everyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really fun. Uh, it starts with Storm fighting him off and just barely surviving. And this is also where Moira almost shoots him and Cyclops the Buzzkill takes her gun away. What a lame And then he, she 
gut punches him with the rifle and he knocks his head on the uh, stones. Here's my thing. I, I still constantly hear this complaint about the Spider-Man sequence from uh, Secret Wars where he beats up the X-Men. Yeah. And it's often brought up as just like the worst part of Secret Wars. And I just like when I read that with you recently, it just seems like Spider-Man knocks them back a little bit and runs off, which is no like, different. Not, like not what, unrealistic. Not unrealistic at all. Like there's a moment where he swats Wolverine and Wolverine flies backwards and it like makes Wolverine seem not like super badass. Mm-hmm. But also it's like Spider-Man surprised him and smacked him in the face and Spider-Man was really strong. Yeah. So it seems very believable. And it's like, he didn't stay and fight Wolverine. Right. Uh, and so in this issue, you know, Cyclops gets knocked out by a woman with no powers. And then Cyclops right. like takes on all the X-Men who have much better powers than him. And he holds his own. It's just like, yeah, anyone can win these fights. Spider-Man yeah. can hold off the X-Men for a couple panels. Just like Cyclops can defeat Wolverine, Colossus and Storm for a few panels. <laughs> It's always funny to see what comic book fans like accept as quote unquote realistic within the boundaries of this very elastic universe. Yeah. Now, mind you, in that same series, Wasp also like takes on the X-Men. So they were they were having a bad run. Yeah. But I also believe that. I think she could do that very briefly. Some of it is just surprise, right? It's the one of the one of Cyclops' advantages in fighting the X-Men is they don't want to kill Cyclops. They're like confused. Yeah. Why is he attacking us? Yeah. It's the same thing with Wasp and Spider-Man. It's like they kind of come out of nowhere and attack them. Anyway, all I'm saying is uh, the X-Men are really powerful and they shouldn't be beaten easily, but they can be beaten easily in the right circumstances. They can certainly be temporarily knocked on their heels a little bit. I mean, just like Spider-Man showing up in FF or in Amazing Spider-Man 1 and kind of taking on the FF and holding his own for a while. Yeah. It's it's believable. Would he also, win over a long term? I don't care. Also, Spider-Man is insanely powerful. He's not just yes. like... Teenager, he's you know throwing cars around and stuff. Yeah. All right. So we get Proteus killing a teenager on the side of the road, or not a teenager, a young woman. Uh, I mean, the the murdering is pretty gruesome. Like you remember that comics back here in the pre Dark Knight, pre Watchmen era comics, it wasn't super common to just have murders left and right. But Proteus is just dropping bodies. We also meet Moira's uh, husband, not her ex. I guess they're still technically married. Her ex relationship, current husband. Oh yeah. It's a it's a weird sequence because well two things. One, she meets him to warn him about Proteus who he doesn't know about. He doesn't even know Proteus exists. Yeah. So she's like, "You have a son you don't know exists. He's coming to kill you." But she doesn't say like he's got superpowers. <laughs> right. She's like, "Okay, you warned me. Get out of here." And she's like, "All right, bye." Like, I think <laughs> you left out a pretty big piece of information. Yeah, he can cha- he can absorb bodies and he can bend reality. It's not like both of them have power, so it'd be like assumed their child would have powers they're two normal people who have a superpowered child and she's like he's coming to kill you and i don't like you but i wanted to warn you he's like all right get out of here would so you like weird it, would you like it better if they played it for comedy and she's like every time you see him you're not going to recognize him yeah that's the way it is with kids they look different all the time <laughs> no no you don't understand he can distort reality tell me about it they're so manipulative i mean at least he would be tried to tell i would feel better about moira's <laughs> warning this warning feels pointless um i think it's just kind of interesting I'm putting myself back in like my 12 or 13 year old mindset, just like to have a a man that you're still married to and you don't talk to him and they have that kind of frosty relationship just feels like a slightly order of magnitude more mature than most comic books. You know, Mm -hmm. speaking of Doris Evans, like Torch and Doris Evans, just like go for malts 
And she says, don't be, you know, don't be a hero. Yeah. But here we have like a marriage and like they're angry with each other. I don't know this. It, it, the relationships are given a lot of real estate in X-Men comics. Yeah. I got no problem with the ex-husband who refuses to divorce her. He seems like a cool dude, though he's killed immediately. Um, <laughs> there's also the thing where Proteus takes his body and he's like excited about it because it's so powerful. But as far as I know, this character didn't have any powers. Right. Proteus says something along the lines of like, I sense a power in him or, or when he takes him, he's like, oh, this is a good one. I forget exactly how that is played out. Hmm, I don't, I don't um, this, is, oh, this is the one. I sense a strength, a vitality in him that rivals what I felt from the X-Men. Rivals what you felt from Storm and Wolverine? Yeah, what's going on? The guy on just there? wears like a nice sweater vest. Yeah, he's got a good salt and pepper. Reed Richards like sideburns too. Yeah, I mean, has nice jaw on the guy, but I, I just don't see it. Anyway. Maybe there was something going on here that didn't get expanded. I like that the Proteus refers to his father as the one I hate. Yeah, that's great. And he hates him because of how he treated his mom. He loves his mom. Despite trying to kill her multiple times throughout the story. <laughs> so we start um, to, they start to close in on Proteus and Proteus really starts to let go with his reality powers. Yeah. And that's uh, there's a cool, funny. there's a, I love the panel where Colossus is like falling down the panel. Yes. It's like, it's like the panel has been turned almost. He twists gravity 90 degrees. So it's kind of like inception where everybody is suddenly like falling to the left. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, Colossus's eye beam turns into like flower petals. He does seem to be like all powerful here. Mm-hmm. Um, he turns a gun into a snake. He turns to his gravity. He dispenses with the eye beams effortlessly. Yeah. Then he grabs is, Moira, and this is where Cyclops says we might have to let Moira die. Yeah, this is a uh, Thanos level. This is Jasper level powers, and yeah. uh, it's a lot. It's a lot to come out of like a power for a guy who, for an issue and a half, didn't show us this power. How? I mean, just because the door was metal, he couldn't get through it. <laughs> yeah, that's right, metal. Uh, I wonder how we're going to beat him. He he is he can't handle metal in any way. Yeah, keep that in mind. Let's try our eye beams. Um, yeah. Also, but he turned the gun to a snake. Isn't that metal? Uh, maybe he. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a wood. <laughs> I guess it was a wood gun. Um, because if he can transform metal, that would be an easy way to deal with Colossus. Just turn him into a snake. Right. Right. Okay. So we get into the last issue, and this is the issue we read before with Jesse Falcon. And this right. is basically where the full final climactic battle. Proteus is holding his mom hostage. We've seen the display of the breadth of his power, which is formidable, and the X-Men are terrified and have to go after him. And this is where binge reading is interesting and trade writing to the trade, like the thing that doesn't happen anymore, is this issue starts with like a page and a half recap, which would sort of be necessary. It's a four, this is a four-issue arc. It's kind of long. You'd need to catch readers up. There's no collections. There's no digital comics. There's, you know, um, you might have missed the previous issues. Um, and nowadays that you just wouldn't have a page and a half of real estate in the last issue. It'd sort of be like, get the trade or start next issue. Uh, but I like it. I mean, I miss recaps if they're not too long. <laughs> uh, they're kind of fun. They're, you know, they're an old convention of these issues. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of good Chris Claremont, like purple prose, which I really love. Um, I think I mentioned this when we went over it with Jesse, but I love the splash page ever hear a city scream, not just the people, but the city itself, things animate and inanimate living and unliving from cockroaches to cobblestones from the top of the highest skyscraper to the bottom of the lowest sub basement. Uh, just yeah, the, 
Yeah, I agree. That's not very good. Um, That's not what I'm saying. I wasn't listening. Uh, the the art in this issue is tremendous. Like I think Burns always great, um, but I almost feel like the last few issues have, are subdued compared to this one. The reality changing he really steers into like the husk that this uh, Proteus has become is even more gruesome. And when Colossus defeats him, like there's this big explosion panel that's really beautiful. Um, so uh, John Byrne really is just nailing it out of the park with this sort of climactic issue. Uh, I mean, he knows, he knows he's plotting it, right? He's co-plotting it. He knows it's the end of an arc. He's given it at all. He's, he's showing visually why this is the end of the arc, not just story-wise. It's really cool. Um, this the the very loose outline of this is each of the X-Men sort of take turns taking on Proteus, trying to like keep him occupied with varying degrees of success, sometimes a lot, sometimes a little. And then Proteus will kind of fight back and like sort of overwhelm them and move on to the next one. But they're keeping him on his heels enough that he can't kill any of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of like creative ways that that happens. And also we get more Claremont description. Like when he's fighting Phoenix, who we know is the most powerful X-Men, uh, depending on how much of her own power she lets herself use. Um, there's like a caption where he like, imagine where he like somehow does something to her. And the caption is imagine being dead and buried. Then imagine how you'd feel. I'm assuming you could feel after a year in the ground. That's how Proteus makes Phoenix feel. That's just kind of creative and fun and gruesome. Yeah. Um, uh, Wolverine uses his claws and because he can't deal with metal, the Wolverine just straight up tries to gut him, just tries to like carve his guts out. Um, and because those claws are metal, that does wound Proteus. Right. Um, and the whole time they're just sort of chasing him, hunting him until they can get Colossus in close. And Colossus, you know, turns into metal and grabs him. Uh, and that's sort of the end of it. There's great sequences with Havoc and Cyclops shooting each other. I always enjoyed those as a kid. You like seeing powers, brothers shoot at each other. Because their powers don't affect each other. It's a fun, ah. like, little hook that, like, oh, their powers are so good against other people, but they sort of don't have much effect on each other. So they don't be hurt like each other. You and I got on the other side of a villain and each tried to make dry observations. Mm-hmm. We'd be impervious to that withering sarcasm. Yeah. So would they. <laughs> right. That also would have no effect on anybody yeah, else. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, and also Proteus at one point, his body, his dad's body runs out of juice. And so he has to kind of become a, just a spirit form. Right. Uh, that's when he's at his weakest. And I think that's when Colossus turns to metal and, and takes, takes him out. Yeah. Akasa spends a lot of time not as metal, and I don't understand why. Yeah, it doesn't seem to, like, take anything away from him to be metal. It's not like, he, you yeah. know, Kitty Pride when she enters and can phase through walls, it seems to take some exertion to be in her, like, phase shifting, so she can't, like, permanently be, like, a ghost. Yeah. But Colossus seems just to be able to hang out as metal. So, like, once you find out the villains, once you... Why don't you rock it in metal mode until we get rid of this guy? Yeah, once you get to the combat sequence, turn into metal, stay it off when he's defeated. Yeah. When you're sitting in bed, you know, you don't want to break your nice, you know, uh, full-size bed in the X-Mansion. If you're yeah. doing Jenga, you know what I mean, or origami, yeah. certainly, you don't have to be but, a metal. But if you're playing baseball with the X-Men or fighting the villain, you're full-on metal. Yeah. That's what I say. Uh, it's a fun climax as we've had an issue go back and listen to our jesse falcon episode if you want to hear us get really in depth on this issue but uh it's a really fun end to the arc uh and banshee's reunited with the love of his life after having been separated her for some time banshee's powers are still not back to this arc is an interesting thing too there's some comments about like it's taking a long time to heal 
Yeah. Uh, um, he, he still puts on his costume, though. That's nice. Well, yeah, he's, he wants to be part of the team. He like likes to wear his little... Suit, suits up even when you're on the injured list. I guess, but like, you know, he's walking around with like these little wings, cloth, <laughs> uh, cloth wings that he can't use. <laughs> I'm saying um, like, wear an X-Men t-shirt when you're not, when you don't catch your powers. That's what I say, Banshee. Get your powers straight, everybody, and wear t-shirts when you're on the injured reserve. Uh, the end of this issue is like a full end, right? We, it's one of the, it's one of the rare X-Men issues where there's, we're not like in the middle of a cliffhanger. Like it is an end. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of walk off smiling. <laughs> That's kind of satisfying in a way though. Yeah. Um, as exciting as the constant cliffhangers are. It's nice to every now and then have a breath, especially when a comic's really firing. It, it's not like you get a breath and you're like, good, now I can stop reading. Um, Kevin, should we take a break? Yes. Take a break. We're going to come back and do some mailbags. Hi, this is Kevin. I'm here with my brother, Will, and we are the hosts of Screw It. We're just going to talk about comics, our weekly podcast about comic books. And we want to hear from you. We have a slew of social media accounts, a slew. You can email us at screwitcomics at gmail.com or see us on Instagram at screwitcomics or tweet at us at screwitcomics. So tell us what you think of the comics you like or the comics you don't or things we've talked about on our episodes. Or send us some life advice. You can tell that we need it. Yes. Uh, we might read your message on a future episode of our show. So thanks in advance from Screw It, we're just going to talk about comics from Campfire Media. We are back. Um, all right, let's get into our mailbag portion. Kevin, right, anybody so email us? A lot of people. We've got a ton of emails. We've got if you want maybe... to email us, and we'll say this again at the end, you can email us at screwitcomics at gmail. We also have a Twitter account, Screw It Comics, and an Instagram account, Screw It Comics. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, reach, mostly we will respond to emails on this every once in a while. I remember to pull out like a, uh, a Twitter comment or an Instagram comment. Uh, a few people messaged us and asked us our take on the Spider-Man trailer. Did you get a chance to watch it, Well, Yes, I did. What's your what take do you on think it? first? I asked you. Well, I hate to be a buzz. I mean, it looked beautiful and exciting and it's going to be a mm -hmm. big event and I'll go see it and I'll probably love it. But uh, the trailer, I'm, I'm always bummed at the trailers. I, I'm like... It's too big, too much. And I know that everyone's excited to see Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus, and he was terrific in Spider-Man 2. But I just I just want a new character. I'm sick of I'm sick of bringing back, I'm sick of comic books constantly retreading. It's like this constant nostalgia that I'm bored by. I'm like, yeah, okay. I don't know. I <laughs> But, I simultaneously was like, this is going to be fun and also yawn. But I am uh, in the minority. Like, uh, my Twitter feed was exploding with excitement. That's what I felt. As a devil's advocate, they haven't really brought any villains back in the Spider-Man movies ever. I guess it's just a comic book thing. Yeah, I, I guess that's all. It's like, they. this is the first villain. I mean, also, we don't know how big a part Doc Ock really has in the movie. Mm -hmm. He's got a fun part, the trailer. Um, you know what else is that the Sam Raimi movies, as much as I liked them, showed up when I was in my mid thirties. Mm -hmm. So I don't have like a childlike attachment to them. So I think sure. like people now who are 30 now are remembering like when they were 11 watching the Doc Ock thing, like, oh, he's back. That's exciting. I guess that would be like, you know, watching C-3PO show up in the Mandalorian or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and I just don't 
C-3PO is you're like the protagonist of Star Wars. Yeah, you're like, oh, now that's the character I was hoping to see in The Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. Forget Luke Skywalker, Han Solo. I don't care about those characters. Mm -hmm. You got to get 3PO in there. The true protagonist of the Star Wars saga. You're insane. You're insane. He does nothing to move that story forward. He has changed. He is the comic relief. He goes through the the biggest arc of any character. You want to you you read Wimpy you read Popeye comics and go what's Wimpy up to? I do. When will he pay people back for those hamburgers? Never. It'll happen. Um, I thought it was fun. I thought it was a really fun trailer. Um, I I think because the MCU Spider Man, I I now that this is the third movie, I've sort of I'm just sort of accustomed to the fact that like oh, this isn't my Spider Man. He is the Marvel universe movie universe spider-man like he's so much of his take is like living up to the avengers and tony stark and oh gosh gee whiz look at those guys i could never be like those guys like there's a funny sequence where he calls dr strange sir mm-hmm. uh and Doctor Strange's like you can call me by my name and he goes okay steven oh, that feels weird <laughs> and it does feel weird in the trailer because it's like tom holland feels like this sort of like kid yeah. Next to the adult of Dr. Strange. But like in the comics, that is not Spider-Man. Spider-Man does not. Peter Parker does not look at Dr. Strange and go, gee whiz, look at him. Right. He doesn't right. do that for Captain America. Yeah. Uh, he does not his take. He's the guy who, when he met the FF, attacked them. <laughs> uh, so it's a very Also in the comics, Spider-Man. he is the big dog in terms of character. Yeah. yeah he's, he is like the... He's been around forever, and he is the biggest character in the Marvel Universe, the most famous character, even if he doesn't know that. So so he's not, you know, he's not the Spider-Man that I know. But either was Tobey Maguire. Either was Andrew Garfield. None of them, like, felt like that Spider-Man. None of them had the confidence mm-hmm. of Spider-Man in the comics. Like Spider-Man in the comics has sort of, like, a self-deprecating thing, but he's also very confident. It's almost like he's self-deprecating because he can't believe how competent he is at this. Uh, yeah, he's not, he's not scared when he sees a giant villain. He's like, I gotta go stop this guy. He sees right. a juggernaut. He's like, it's up to me. I wish the FF were here. I'll do it though. And it's like, yeah, of course you'll do it. You're Spider-Man. You're really good at your job. Yeah. Uh, and that's missing from these movies. And I think because my complaints with this movie, which are not, it's not out yet. will be the same. They've been for every movie. It's like, I don't like this, you know, the, the tech heavy suit. I don't like that. The, so much of this movie is going to deal with Dr. Strange and not Spider-Man. Yeah. I think that's uh, that what I'm is, tired of too. I'm sick of how tightly wound they all are. I know that's part of the fun, but. But that's what these movies are. At some point he'll go yeah. back to Sony. Cause Sony's never going to give up the rights of Spider-Man people. At uh, some point he won't be in the MCU anymore. Sony will reboot him and you'll get a different Spider-Man. Um, and so for this, it's almost like for this era, we have a Spider-Man who is just, it's almost like we're getting Spider-Man team up. Right, we, yeah. We're not getting amazing Spider-Man that we've had that already. And we've had spectacular Spider-Man. This is Marvel team up Spider-Man. And that's what it's going to be until Marvel lets go of him. Cause that's all they can do to him. That's different that no one else can do. If yeah. he goes back to Sony, he will be not just the big dog, the only dog. Right. Like the people around him will be Spider-Man supporting characters. Right. If 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 it, if it's just in Sony, it's like who's the next biggest hero in his universe? Venom, who's the villain? Yeah, uh, Black Cat, Silver Sable. It's like well, Spider Man's bigger than all those guys. He is the main hero. He is the yeah. leader of that team. So here he's not, and that's just what it is. Uh, so it's fun. It'll be fun, and I because I've kind of accepted that 
that's what this is. Is it just team up? Great, go for it. Uh, as far as multiverse Spider-Man goes, uh, it seems crazy to do something that was done so well in the animated movie. You can't do it better than that. Yeah. So why are you doing it? But again, like I love Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, so it'll be fun. So yeah. I, I watched that show. I'm like, this movie will be fun. It'll, it won't be... I don't think I'll leave that movie going, oh, this is the best Spider-Man movie. I'll just be like, this was a fun lark of a Spider-Man movie. I guess that's a lot. That is a lot. That's a great gift to to appreciate. But that's what the, the last two movies were. Other than like the Michael Keaton scenes, the first two movies just felt like a lark in a lot of ways. I'm like glad he's going to be back in New York. Um, that'll be fun. Half the first movie was just like him catching a bike thief. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exaggerating that, but it's like, that's silly or him jumping through backyards doing a ferris bueller riff right it's a silly movie uh anyway that's our take on the trailer folks will hates it i like it yep will hates uh joy i hate hate joy and happiness uh justin bridge emails us um with some comments on i talked about uh with you that i think the joker should be killed because he's such a murderer now yes and i guess i also mentioned that like i don't think the kingpin should be killed okay I was like, the kingpin should go to jail. Right, right. You because he only he only kills when necessary and mostly yeah. other criminals. Well, Justin disagrees with me. Uh, let's see. Uh, you mentioned essentially that the Joker has become such a prolific murderer that it really does beg the question: Why hasn't Batman killed him? That his high murder stats take you out of the story. Meanwhile, though, you made it sound like killing the kingpin was kind of a moral why bother, since someone would just slot in to replace him. I thought this raised a number of interesting moral and ethical questions. I mean, even if there would be a new kingpin. If the kingpin we know was killed, how many people does he kill? Maybe it's not as showy as the Joker killing a whole theater or school or whatever as once, but between actual ordered hits and just the spread of drugs, the kingpin has to be the much greater threat to life. The Joker lies low. He gets sent to Arkham. The kingpin is working 24-7, has the best legal representation, just keeps going. He's not flashy. He's flashy as flashy all that matters. And I guess my response to that is like, yeah, it'd be harder to stop the kingpin. It's harder to get the kingpin to go to jail. So I guess it's easier to put the Joker in Arkham than the kingpin in jail. That's a good point. Yeah. But I think the kingpin probably stops. Like organized crime, I think, makes less murder. Like if it's chaos, there's more murders going on. You you agree with the kingpin in the video game. Uh, like he's killed a few people to, to ret- retain order. And some of those people he's killing are bad. And some of those people he kills are good. He is a killer. Uh, I do want him stopped, but I want organized crime stopped more than I want Kingpin stopped. The Joker mm-hmm. is just chaos. And yeah, if the Joker could be cured, give it a shot. <laughs> but they've given it a shot a hundred times yeah. at a certain point. And I guess my point with the Joker is just, I look at the Joker and I say, um, we can't do that. We failed. We have to kill him and it's on us. We should feel bad about this but we should kill him. If like Charles Manson got out of jail when he was alive and killed like yeah. five more people. Yeah. Uh, or however many he killed in the, how many, well, he didn't directly kill anybody, but however many people were killed in the original sure. two Manson murders, um, did that a second time. Yeah. He'd never if, get out. If Ted Bundy uh, got, yeah. uh, uh, kept killing, I guess he was killed. I, I don't know. It, yeah. Our tolerance in real life would be way lower for a repeating serial and especially uh, like the, if it's like the fifth time and the response from the government is like, we think we can help this guy stop killing. After the fifth time, we're like, no, you yeah. can't. Yeah. It'd be nice if you could. I would like to believe you can. You've proven to me you cannot do this. Yeah. 
he also argues that uh, the Canada budget is not crazy. Uh, a lot of people have been arguing this to us. Um, that's the, why are people why why does this <laughs> offend people? I think people just like Alpha Flight. Hey, we like Alpha Flight too, but the idea that it is a wing of the Canadian government is very funny. I mean, it is a small country. You're basically yeah. talking like the state government of Maine has a superhero department. So he does bring up this point, which I did not know. Guardian's armor was originally developed by oil companies and stolen by its creator. So Canada maybe didn't develop the suit, but that, I mean, and the issues we're reading, that is not apparent. That is not apparent. That, that is a they retcon. also developed Wolverine. Yeah. I think it, that is a retcon to explain how Canada could afford this. Yeah. Um, he also thinks <laughs> Wolverine gets mad at Cyclops for not knowing he spoke ja- or not asking if he spoke Japanese. You remember yeah. this well? Yeah. Uh, and I you said, never like, asked. It's like, was we, I supposed and, to just ask every random skill that you might have? And, well, he thinks Cyclops should have. Cyclops is the leader and always super anal retentive. It does seem like a gap. He would want to know who spoke other languages. <laughs> I'm surprised we don't see Summers handing out questionnaires. Um. And then he talks about he likes Lone Wolf and Cub. It's a long email, which is why I'm sort of skipping around on it. Thanks, Justin. A lot of good stuff there. Uh, uh, I disagree with you a lot, but I love that you want to argue with me on these things. Yeah. Uh, Bernie Lockhart emails us. Um, I think there's no question that Steve Ditko should receive credit for the COVID-19 vaccine. (laughs) And I'm on board already. Me too. Yeah, I agree with this. See, uh, not Justin, like, this is an email that makes sense. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah, this, this is logical. <laughs> uh, it seems like America still needs to be sold on the idea, and I can think of only one man for the job. Can you sell the vaccine to Americans at home listening to oh, we need? He wants us to do a Stanley impression telling people to get vaccinated. Well, are you um, up for it? I think so. Um, true believers. What's more powerful than Galactus eating a solar system worth of planets? It's mRNA, the technology that will change vaccines forever. Get stabbed, (laughs) true believers. Get jabbed and stabbed. That's what, that's what, uh, super immunized Stan says. Get your own personal Iron Man suit of armor with the COVID vaccine. What's more mighty than Thor's hammer? A hypodermic needle filled with COVID vaccine. Even Uru metal can't penetrate <laughs> the, the, the protection you'll have. From... Developed with technology so sophisticated, even Wakandans would be impressed. <laughs> All right, we did it. All right. Uh, uh, we have an email from Jameson. Hello, brothers who are kind of comedians, but most definitely milksops. Mm-hmm. Uh, this question is kind of related to the X-Men and the idea that you talked about on the FF before. Uh, I've seen Reed Richards stretch. Oh, this is a great one. I've seen Reed, Reed Richards stretch and squish his face to look like other people before. I presume that a shapeshifter like Mystique has to change her height to imitate other people. So what are the limitations of a stretchy person's ability to shapeshift? And what are the limitations of a shapeshifter's ability to stretch? I mean, this is a comic book fan's question. This is a, I love it. This is a really fun question. Um, it's yeah, very This silly. is one of those things where it's like Reed's powers are sort of like, you know, they kind of shift and change what he can mm-hmm. do depending on what you need for the story. Yeah. Not, not as much as Plastic Man, who would be like, yeah, yeah. True physical impossibilities and turn into like a, a cuckoo clock with working gears. Yeah, then he himself comes out of the clock. Yeah, uh, I think 
Reed must have more ability to shapeshift than Mystique has to stretch. Yeah. I think he would have to really work at it. He has to get into a training room with Cyclops. Yeah. But I think he could do a lot of shapeshifting. He can't change his coloring, right? It looks like that. So he would have to like change his outfit or have a make a costume that changes colors or something. But I guess if I was going to try to measure Mystique and stretch somewhat. Sure. So she must be able to get. What a is the few biggest amount of mass that she can occupy is in one of her sh- shapes? Like, can she shape shift into a bear? I don't or a know. horse? Because if that's true, then she theoretically should be able to stretch as much as that material allows. Yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen her become a bear or, but like, like, let's see in the movies. Always be humanoid. She can become like Magneto size. That's much taller than uh, her. I'm, I'm thinking the so movie. So she can stretch that much, right? That's like yeah. a foot. Yeah, like a foot and a half. He's bigger and wider than her too. So I think she could get, I think she could become like Manute Bowl. Yeah, and that's that's, and that's Fassbender Magneto, not even Ian McKellen Magneto. That's much more bigger pecs. Yeah. Uh, I think, um, and she's always humanoid, right? So she can only stretch like yeah. limbs and stuff. But you'd think she could, I mean, she could become like an armless human. Yeah. So that, why wouldn't she be able to become like a, armful. a goat? She should be, she should be able to become a goat. I would think so. I don't know if she's ever done that. I, I don't know. I would say she can stretch 20%, but that Reed could shapeshift with enough training to anything. He just would be, he would just be colored like Reed Richards in a blue costume. So yeah. it would not be that convincing. Like if you turned into Wolverine, it'd be like, Hey Wolverine, why are you wearing the FF suit? Yeah. And he can't do voices like Mystique can do voices and everything else, right? So Reed Richards would still be talking in his, you know, He Man. Uh, <laughs> let's get in there and fight those guys. Hanna Barbera voice. Yeah. Uh, there's your answer, perfectly encapsulated, James. Figured it out. Uh, I think it's fun to think about. Uh, we have an email from Paul Lavoda. Will good. I recently watched a documentary about legendary improv teacher Del Close. This is the weirdest podcast. Uh, we get improv questions and comic book questions and occasionally war games questions. <laughs> um, anyway, I learned... We could use uh, some Del- more war games questions, by the way, if anybody really has uh, When somebody asked us what we thought of the trailer, our brother Brian posted the trailer to war games because they didn't <laughs> say... The person asking about the trailer didn't specify which trailer, so I think Brian <laughs> wants to know our take on the war games trailer. That one I like. <laughs> uh which we should watch. And, and next time, maybe we'll watch the War Games trailer and give our take on it. <laughs> uh, uh, this is about improv teacher Del Close. I learned he wrote a DC comic called Wasteland. Yes, which I read. Um, as did I. Will you ever review Wasteland on the podcast? Uh, and he's got a second question I'll ask after that. Uh, I don't think so. Do I you? I don't think so. Because like it, was okay, it was like an okay Twilight zone kind of comic, but not yeah. so great. And if we're... If we were going to talk about Dell, we would talk about improv because that was his thing. I mean, it would sort of be like yeah. reviewing Stan Lee's like poetry or something. It's like his acting really career. His jam. Yeah. It's like, I think he wasn't committing in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 when he was wearing Stan Lee's no acting career would make more sense because that impacts us as comic book readers. Like <laughs> Dell's, Dell's comic book career is sort of an interesting chapter in an interesting man's life, but yeah. not really relevant to his like main deal. I reread the run after when I was deep into improv, like after five or six years of doing improv and uh, I didn't remember much of it reading it. Right, me either. And like the first few issues are really good and it just really tails off after that. It's like, Oh, he had a couple yeah. really cool story ideas 
And then like the comic continues for a while. And it's I mean, he was a smart, fine. interesting, well-read guy. It makes sense that he could, that he had a couple of great stories ready to go. Uh, since we are both improv instructors and uh, improv instructors and comic lovers like Dell, will we ever write our own comic about our life and escapades? <laughs> Not about our life and escapades. We would never would write about our life and such escapades. Such a boring that comic. would be insanely bad. I yeah. can imagine us writing a comic. I don't think that's yeah. crazy. Yeah, but I don't see us writing a comic about like renting a tuxedo to go to uh, junior high uh, pro, uh, school dances and stuff. I don't imagine that. Or trying to find They Might Be Giants uh, venue con- concert venue in New Haven. You know, where's entire issue, place? An entire issue about you uh, sharing flood with me. <laughs> uh, all right, let's see. We, got, we can do one or two more. Good. Uh, this is an email from Micah McCaw. We were on his podcast. Well, do you remember that? I do. We talked about Batman, the movie. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Okay. Uh, I wanted to give you a breakdown of what you've covered that I have read since becoming a fan. Okay. Uh, of course, Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's Spider-Man is what got me into comics in the first place. The true foundation all things to all things modern comics. Fantastic Four has been a bit tougher to get through as I find my mind wandering quite a bit, but they are so much fun. I imagine it will take me a few more months to get through the issues you've covered. Oh, there are 110 of them about. Yeah, it's so many. Uh, Jordan and I are both reading through Sandman for the first time, and it is scratching every itch that I enjoy in stories. We were both on the kindly ones. My only complaint with the series is how inconsistent the art is. I'm blowing through the kindly ones because I don't really enjoy looking at those issues. Hmm. I believe the culprit for me may be Mark Hempel. He's obviously a good artist, but it lacks the detail that previous issues have so beautifully portrayed and instead looks more akin to a Sunday morning cartoon strip. Maybe I'm crazy. Uh, that, Mark Campbell does have a very particular style. I yeah. do like it, but it is it is a lot more simple and abstract than most Sandman issues. It is a weird thing about the Sandman because the artists aren't just different artists. They're just drastically different. And I do think when I'm reading it, like there's certain artists I like way more than other artists. And yeah. those story arcs, do better for that reason. Sure. Uh, I really love um, uh, 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 Kelly. Um, is it Kelly? Is it Kelly? No, Kelly Thompson's the writer. Oh, um, Kelly Jones? Wait. Kelly Jones is a Spider-Man artist. Um, I'll look it up. Keep, keep blanking talking. on her name. Brian Israelio's wife. Uh, 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 that's a sad way to distinguish her. The scary godmother artist does Beasts of Burden. Um, her art's really great. And... And I really love that arc. That's the arc where she, uh, Dream travels around with um, Jill Thompson. Jill Thompson. Why do I think Kelly? Because Kelly Thompson is a writer. That's what happened. Okay. Yeah. Jill Thompson. I really love her art. So like that arc stands out to me because I love her art and it really holds up did well. Did she do Game of You? No, she did Brief Lives. She did the one where they travel around looking for destruction. Brief Lives. Yeah. Yeah. I forget. That's the name, my so. favorite. That's my favorite Sandman arc. And I, and I think her art is like my favorite art. Uh, in that run. So like that helps that arc for me. Yeah. Um, so I get what he's saying. It, it's very weird to do that. Cause like most vertigo books didn't do that. Yeah. They would have, an have the main artist and they would have guest artists do like arcs, but they wouldn't have like a different artist, every single arc. I think losing Sam Keith right away opened him up to doing that. Like Sam yeah. Keith did one arc and then didn't want to keep doing it. Apparently. Yeah, And then they had another good artist. And I think they're just like, let's just keep, or maybe they always had that plan. I don't know. It seemed like Sam Keith was meant to be the artist ongoing. Sam Keith was doing like a Tales from the Crypt style kind of yeah. gruesome art because it was much more of a horror comic at first. 
Uh, anyway, uh, Mike goes on. Secret Wars was tough for me. I enjoyed your coverage much more than my actual experience reading it. The cast of villains was so lame. <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Dr. Doom is not lame and he's going to destroy you for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Claremont X-Men have been really interesting because I've been surprised at how adventure focused they are. They are really fun, but I was expecting them to be more standard 70s superheroes with a political bent to them. So far, it's just adventure after adventure with hardly any time to catch your breath. Uh, yeah, that's true. It's, it's more Kirby FF than it's not. Yeah. Finally, on to Superior Spider-Man, Hui. Now, that is a spectacular run. I'm slowly but surely reading all of Amazing Spider-Man. And as controversial as this take may or may not be, Dan Slott is my favorite. His attention to the legacy of Spider-Man while also breaking new ground is so fresh. A brand new day, issue 801, had hardly uh, any had only any issues that I didn't enjoy. Oh, brand new day through issue 801, Dan Slott's uh, time on the book. Uh, though brand new day he shared with other writers. But yes, I, I see what he's saying. The whole time Dan Slott was working on the book had hardly any issues that I didn't enjoy. I still have a lot to go as I've skipped around different decades, but I'll be sure to email you when I catch up on all of it, which wow. I haven't even done. Uh, one final note, after hearing your episodes on Concrete, I was extremely intrigued. So I picked up Paul Chadwick's Concrete short stories at the library and fell in love with it. It's now oh, my nice. new goal to stop at comic shops and solely collect Concrete collections. I want to, over the course of my life, track them down in person and read them. Excelsior. Man, we're so flattered that you tried all that stuff. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I think it's fair to like and not like any of those things. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, for, those opinions in particular, I do agree with. Um, but even yeah, I'm, we don't want to be the kind of fans who are like offended when somebody disagrees. Yeah, so, and it, and also the reasons he doesn't like those things kind of all make sense. They do. Yeah, I actually can I can specifically see where he's coming from with his complaints for sure. Okay, uh, if Arcade captured the X Men, yes, you with me so far. I got that. Force them to write, direct, and star in a movie about the enforcers. How do you think that might go? Let's see. Um, A very weird, very us question. The X Men would only be doing the movie to capture Arcade. So everything that they record, all the script would just be trying to get Arcade to do a cameo. Stanley S. Cameo, so they could capture him. I also think they would cast now, Nightcrawler as Nightcrawler as Fancy Dan. Good cast. Colossus as Ox. Easy. Um, I think Wolverine has to be Montana, right? <laughs> yeah, he's got the right attitude. It would be fun to watch Wolverine have to pretend to be somebody else and to do rope tricks. <laughs> Just like you got to practice those rope tricks, Wolverine. We got a full arcade. Can't I just fight him? No, you got to get good at rope tricks. I mean, Cyclops Into the danger is room with Cyclops the Will Rogers simulation. What? Right, Cyclops has got to be directing this film. Yeah, he's got the beret and stuff. Um, Storm is in charge of practical effects. <laughs> oh man, the effects on that movie are going to be great. Uh, and then I've got a couple stuff from t- Twitter. Uh, Micah also asked what my thoughts, uh, our thoughts on the Suicide Squad movie were. I haven't seen it yet. Um, well then I'm, my, 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 I'll attempt to be spoiler free. I enjoyed it. I really liked James Gunn's movie. I was both, I both really enjoyed it. This is what I tweeted back at him. I both really enjoyed it and was also disappointed in it. Uh, my expectations were very high in that movie just cause I really liked James Gunn. I really liked the guardians movies. I really liked slither. I really liked super all these movies he's done. So I was like, this movie is going to be tremendously good. Yeah. Um, and it is a messy movie. Like, 
it feels like it's focused more on gore and silliness sometimes and like telling a cool story. Um, it is, it feels sloppy in a way, but it also does some crazy things and it just like has fun throughout sort of like what you're saying about these Claremont X-Men, this movie feels like to me, it just sort of feels like hey, what would be fun in this scene more than what would make this a great movie. Mm-hmm. There's lots of like visual transitions where like there's a scene where like the, there's a fire burning that says like um, destroy this base or something. And it, and then like, first we got to go get Harley. And then the fires just kind of blow out and they reignite saying rescue Harley. Mm. So it's like, there's like fun little weird transitions like that to the movie that are just like visually cool to see that you don't see in superhero movies too much. Um, and so like, I was watching the movie the whole time going, ah, this movie isn't as good as I want it to be. And then it ended and I was like, I kind of want to watch it again already. Hmm. So I both was like sort of disappointed by it, but sort of enjoyed the whole thing through, which weirdly is how I felt about Wonder Woman 1984 that everyone hates. Mm-hmm. I was like, this movie is crazy, but I've sort of smiled the whole way through it. Yeah. And Birds of Prey, which is a, a, another Harley Quinn movie that's sort of like this messy, strange movie that I'm like, I don't know what, what to make of this, but I also enjoyed the. I was like smiling the whole time. It is the way DC that has gotten good at making messy fun movies that's a way to distinguish themselves from sort of the rigid continuity of the mcu yeah like and they're I, looser and i think maybe i wouldn't like them as much if the mcu didn't exist mm-hmm. um like in comparison there, there's just we've had so many competently made very good movies some great but all like pretty good um that it's sort of like it's just fun to see one that's just sort of like balls to the wall going for it yeah uh, i say dc does unhinged movies yeah. Sometimes to good effect, sometimes to bad. Yeah. So uh, I really enjoyed it. I do want to watch it again. I'm very excited it's to really see it again. It's really strange because in the comic books in the 60s, DC was the rigid, competent yeah. comics maker and Marvel was the unhinged one. Yeah. If any, like, yeah, if Marvel keeps doing this, like there is a backlash at some point. And I think they're trying to push away from it with things like Ragnarok and maybe the Spider-Man movie Will Hates that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> um or they're just like doing sillier things and having more fun with it. Um, and to some extent, the TV shows did this. I think Loki and and WandaVision were sort of stranger. That's true. Uh, yeah, the Disney the Disney Plus uh, Marvel TV shows are riskier than the movies. So even that, they felt like constrained risks. Yeah, but I really um, But yeah. I mean, there, there are no war uh, games, but I like I wonder if there's a backlash where like Marvel movies just sort of get fine but boring and dc movies are just like i don't know they're just fun i don't know what's going to happen in them yeah uh, and they can take over i don't know if they will as long as warner brothers doesn't have people in charge that care but that like comics <laughs> you, you gotta like luck into a good director making the movie and then letting that director do what he wants yeah uh and i have one other tweet that someone sent someone sent this fun image uh tom payer who's a comic book writer uh who's really great sent this image that's a tweet that says, my brain exploded when Mark Wage asked me who tied Reed up and posts the cover of Fantastic Four number one where they're fighting the monster. Hmm. And like, you know, the torch is like flying past this monster and Sue is in its <laughs> I've arm. I've never thought about this. And the thing is attacking and Reed has been tied up. And it'll take He's more than ropes to keep Mr. Ropes. Fantastic out of action. Who tied him up? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very funny question. Even better, though, is the response. Kurt Busaic just posted an image of Montana. (laughs) (laughs) 
And uh, I loved this comic book writers having this sort of discussion. It's like, who tied up Reed Richards? Montana, just off panel, FF issue one, ties Reed up. I love it. I love it. And there's no, there's no other, there's no more correct answer than that. You know, I did a comedy bang bang episode where I was a character named Idaho, which was just Montana. Yes. And uh, I, I regret called not you doing on it immediately. Dan. Yes. Um, I regret not doing Fancy Dan. That's just something I wanted to say. Oh, Montana is a fun choice. I, I wish I either just did Montana as Montana. Yeah. Or a Fancy Dan analog like like Nifty Paul or something like that. Mm-hmm. Instead, I, I I put a hat on a hat. And I went one degree yeah. removed from the number two and four. A Montana who is like mad that he's not in the movies and stuff. Right, right. That that would have been a very fun take. Yeah. Well, they don't want a rope lot tricks. of doing comedy bang bang is regrets. They don't want rope tricks in uh, Endgame. <laughs> Here's my pitch: uh, Thanos drops the glove. How do we get it? <laughs> Lasso. <laughs> um, if you want to email us, like Will said, email us at screwitcomics at gmail and we'll talk about it like we did these emails. Yeah, and um, uh, when are we going to do another episode of this, Kev? I don't know. We got enough emails soon. Soon. So I'm, uh, keep- I'm going away for a week to visit family, so our schedule's sort of out of whack, and I don't know when these are being released, but we'll we'll get it together soon. And um, and uh, yeah, we got we got we got cool stuff coming. So please keep listening. Yep. Bye, everyone. Bye. Comics. Have you ever encountered an unexplained hairy bipedal hominid in the woods? Have you received telepathic messages from an unidentified aerial phenomenon? If so, then you need to listen to Bigfoot Collectors Club. I'm Michael McMillan. And I'm Bryce Johnson. And together with super producer... Riley Bray. We make up the Bigfoot Collectors Club. That's right. Every week we talk to actors, comedians, writers, and paranormal experts about their personal paranormal histories and share stories of high strangeness. Like the time when we talked to Craig Ferguson about the Loch Ness Monster and when a sea witch told him he had raven magic. Or the time I asked Pitch Perfect's Anna Camp her opinion on cattle mutilations. Past guests have included Rachel Bloom, Jen Kirkman, Paul F. Tompkins, Bobcat Goldthwait, and more. So if you've ever been abducted alongside five reindeer by an alien with drills for hands or witnessed Bigfoot crawl out of an interdimensional portal, don't laugh, happens all the time, then check out Bigfoot Collectors Club on Campfire Media or wherever you get your podcasts. Bigfoot Bigfoot Collectors Club, you're You're here to to believe believe us. Wait, is that how it goes? Campfire.